We have returned. We have returned. And we have returned. Welcome to Slam City, the podcast here on Dunk360.com. Right back to where we are used to being in our beautiful New York City studios just outside of Bryant Park. I'm Unko Asonye sitting beside me, Raymond Mora. Jeremy Epstein is off today, but you'll hear his voice in just a bit. We're also going to have Cut Dog Music, a rap group from Kansas City, Missouri. They'll be joining us later on in the show as well. But last week was a bit hectic between Ray shipping off to Green Bay and Jeremy and I going to a couple of showcases to bring you something. You know, we didn't take the whole week off just for the sake of taking it off. We were doing productive things. <laughs> what happened in Green Bay, Ray? Oh, well, I saw a lot of interesting stuff in Green Bay. You know, I didn't know a lot about the Packers. I know pretty much, you know, Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers of the world, but more about the history. I mean, they started in 1999, the franchise. They started today. 1999? Well, 1999. 1919. Let me correct Thank that. You. 1919. Let me correct that. Even I knew that. Yeah. I didn't even know. 1922, and they joined the NFL. You know, they're, they're the, th the third oldest franchise in the NFL. You know, second is the Bears. Number one is the Cardinals. And, you know, I also learned about how passionate these fans are, you know, and the one thing that, that caught my attention was that the community owns the team, and they have a shareholder of approximately 250 according to 2011. That's when the last time they did it. But before that, like when they started out, it was only $5 that they owned this team. Wow. So the community pretty much owns it. And that's, that's probably the one thing that, that caught me because, you know, they're really passionate about the Packers. Um, they're in the call title town for a reason because they won 13 world championships you know you can include the super bowls and all the other champions before right, you know, right. nfl merged but it was interesting and then overall green bay itself it's a quiet town compared to new york city new york city is all hectic anything is quiet compared to new york city <laughs> oh yeah but like the green bay side like you know everything is all quiet everybody they pretty much all love each other i haven't seen any like conflicts for anything um they really love their beer a lot um, that's why they call it something called Title Town Brewing Company, and mm -hmm. they make their own personal beer. And it, tell me, th those beers that they make, they're really great. And I recommend oh, people really? who go to Green Bay, they should go there and drink it. Is there a way that people <laughs> not in Green Bay can drink it, or you have to go there to drink you, it? You have to go there because that's just a special type of beer. Okay. So. And there's a fountain called the Beer Bumbler, and it's pretty much a fountain just with beer in it. That sounds <laughs> That sounds like it could potentially be disgusting. But it, it was cold beer. I thought it was, it was, it was a very, very crazy about it. Because usually fountains are like sometimes hot or cold, but it was really cold beer, and that was interesting. Then can they come and fix most of the fountains <laughs> anywhere? Because nah, I got to admit, that's really impressive. That's their own thing. And then, you know, they, they love their wine. They love their sweet wine. You know, they have their own vineyard, and that was interesting as well. Um, I did ride the Segways. That was pretty fun. They have their own Segway tours. Oh, yeah. And cool. and if you are on Instagram, that's <laughs> at Morinus10. He looks like a dead... Oh, man. I'm, I'm going to pull the quote from a mutual friend of ours that says, you look like a dad <laughs> looking out for the community. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, Graciano, is just, he has a good comment. That was a good comment, though. That was hilarious. And then the last thing I did before I left was I went to eat sushi, and some of the sushis... Uh, and there was was spectacular. I mean, I took a Godzilla and I had a a buffalo. I took even a little bit of a bomb. It was pretty good. So Green Bay, Wisconsin, is the land of legendary football. Yeah, cold beer, mm -hmm. sweet wine, mm -hmm. and sushi. 
Yeah, sushi, Segway tours. They do everything. Like I, when I write when I write this piece off, which would be in probably the coming months, but it'll be about the spots that everybody should go to that I think they they'll be happy about. And I, and the I think the one thing also was that I was on Lambo Field too, and the whole field itself was like it's crazy. And, and, and you know you can't really go on the field. They weren't allowed that, but just looking at the field, like it just feels great. Wow, that's different for <laughs> me because the only real gravitas football experience I've had that's even close to that was going to Notre Dame Stadium. But the difference is at least they let us on the field. We took a couple pictures. Touchdown Jesus was there and whatnot. But your trip sounded really fun. Yeah, and I, people, you know, you guys are going to see the article probably in the coming months. But, you know, when it's, on, when it's in the magazine and then it's, it's online to you, you know. You uh, which, which magazine, by the way, because I know <laughs> Dunk360 does not have one, but it's also a reflection of where else you have worked because you don't want to throw people. Yeah, it's a, a blue magazine. You, you can also buy our, uh, you know, current issue right now with Trevor Jackson being the cover. It's on Barnes & Nobles, too, so... You know, you can check it out. You can check out the website as well, boommagazine.com. I'll be posted on the website and also in the magazine. All right, that, that's enough free hype. That, that, that's, <laughs> enough, that's enough free hype. Uh, but, you know, what, thinking of what I did, what you guys did last Sunday was... Well, I'm so glad you asked. Um, there was a showcase. It's an annual showcase for RBA Sports, and they actually represent up-and-coming talents and what they've actually done what they didn't do much of in the past, I was talking to Keith Schloss, Schlosser, excuse me, who was the PR director for RBA Sports. They started to sign the college guys that have had names made for themselves and then things of that nature. A few local products were there. And in fact, Jeremy and I got a chance to talk to them when I said you'd hear from him later. This is where we spoke at first with Marcus Burton out of Wagner he played his first two years under Dan Hurley before he went to Rhode Island, finished his college career, then took a year off to sort of develop his game, and he looked really good in that showcase. In fact, he was part of the play that set up the game-winning shot, and here's what he had to say about it. Perfectly fine with me, man. Whatever wins the game for us, he told me that they was going to be keying on me, so I was like, Chaz, circle through the baseline. The big man was wide open. He dusted it off, free layup. As someone who went to college at Wagner right here in this area, what is it about playing at this showcase right here at home that makes it special? Well, this is my first time being back in New York since 2015, so this is going to be special regardless for me. Um, I feel like I'm at home. I love New York City. I love the area. I love playing here, so this is fun. Here's another notable name that was there. If you're a fan of UConn, then the name Omar Calhoun will bring a lot of significance to you an all-Big East player before the transition UConn made to the American Athletic Conference, and I asked him what it was like. It was definitely an adjustment because, you know, me coming in, I was, it was the Big East originally. Um, so it was just a lot of adjusting from the AAC Conference and everything, but, you know, it, it, it's headed in the right direction. And, you know, it's a lot of positive stuff going on there, and, it, you know, they're putting it together the right way. What are the influences of Kevin Ali had on your game? Um, you know, he just, he just wants you to be a perfectionist. Um, you know, he, he, he wants you to do, he comes every day and practice and challenges you to, to, to bring your best effort. You know, he doesn't care if you score or, or, or about the offense at all. He just wants you to go out there and bring 110% every time you step on the floor. What is it about the NCAA tournament in particular? Because on championship winning team, you were able to really be a huge part of that. 
how peculiar, really, and what makes it different from anything else? Um, I'm just playing in front of that many people, um, you know, seeing a bunch of celebrities in the crowd, and, you know, just going against the top competition. Um, you know, Kentucky, you know, Wisconsin, you know, teams like that, they're the highest level. Um, it, 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 it prepares you so in so many different ways. It's, it's just, you can't even explain it. It's just an environment that you that you just feel in intensity as soon as you step on the floor. Last but not least, we spoke to a personal favorite of mine. I say that halfway sardonically because Chaz Williams, Brooklyn-born, finished his collegiate career with the UMass Minutemen in the same conference as some team known as the George Washington Colonials. That's kind of means something to me because that's where I went to school. But in my very last collegiate basketball broadcast for WRGW, it was the 6-11 game. UMass was the sixth seed, and he ended my career as a basketball broadcaster. So we joked about that for a little bit, but very nice guy, great to talk to. Only stands 5'9", but can really get after it on both ends of the floor. And I asked him how he likes to run the offense. Just put my guys in the best position as possible, uh, not put them in tough situations where, you know, to cause them to do too much. Just get them in the best situation, uh, close to the rim if they're big, and the shooters just get them in their sweet spot. So, obviously, you've been in a few of these before. Are there anything that you, that coaches are asking you to work on as you come to more of these games that you try um, specifically to work on during showcases like these? Uh, I just know my years past in the D-League and uh, overseas, my three-point percentage haven't been that great. So, you know, this whole summer I have I haven't played in no street ball. You know, I played two games the most, and you know, this whole summer I've been focusing on my jump shot in my game, and you know, I feel like it has improved a lot. You started at Hofstra, transferred to UMass, playing under Coach Derek Kellogg. First off, for people who are unfamiliar with transferring in general, how tough was that decision for you to make? Uh, it was a tough decision, you know, because I had to decide if I wanted to sit out or, you know, play right away. And the sitting out chair was tough, but I always knew it would make me a break man. You know, I used it to my advantage and, you know, it helped me throughout the years later. And when you played for Coach Kellogg, you had some really good years, sent UMass back to the tournament for the first time since the 90s. What was it like being a part of a program that was prominent for quite some time and bringing it back to prominence? Uh, it, was a, it was a blessing, a beautiful feeling. And, you know, uh, I thank my thank God for First, my teammates and, you know, the coaching staff for putting us in a position that allowed that to happen. And, um, you know, just going out there and playing hard every night, leaving my body on the floor and just trying to help my team win. So what have you learned about playing? You talked about being, you know, you've always viewed yourself as a professional. So be, playing professionally for a few years now, what have you learned from that? Uh, it's all about containing your body, you know, uh, doing what you can do to the best of your abilities and not trying to, you know, do things that's not in your repertoire. So, you know, just me mainly is just being a point guard, making shots when I'm open, and just getting my guys involved and being a vocal leader. So, yeah, that was our week. So, of course, yesterday couldn't end normal, right? She even me on camera. So, Ryan Lochte decided that he was going to be the hero in his own brave robbery flick called I Got Robbed by Fake Cops in Rio. And this fool, when everyone bought his story, apparently he and, was it three, three other swimmers? Yeah. Three other swimmers got 
obliterated. Okay, there's nothing wrong with letting loose after being in such a high-pressure situation. I totally understand it. What I don't understand is how that turns into you going into a gas station, being rowdy, urinating all over the floor, and then having the nerve to go in front of a TV camera and then say you were robbed. Because the frightened gas station attendant said, I don't know who you are. I'm pulling a gun. Please leave me alone. Please get out of here. The tape speaks for itself. And it's, it's, I'm, Ray, help me. I don't have words. It's just, it's chaotic and it's stupid because I don't know why he was in that situation. I don't know why he did that. But I think it speaks volume to who he is as a person. I mean, it may be one incident, but let's just say if this gone worse and, and, and it was actually for real, you know, then we all will understand. But the fact that he made up a story, I mean, what was he trying to prove, really? I mean, that's the biggest question. And the worst of it is Rio has already had its fair share of bad publicity. Exactly. Because the Olympic Village, parts of it weren't done. Because there were other athletes and coaches who got robbed and who ended up being in dangerous situations. And you made something up because you wanted to get wasted, you lost control, and you couldn't own up to it. Now, let, let me Shame play, on you. Let me play devil's advocate here. Now, maybe, what if he did this to have more attention and spotlight away from Michael Phelps? That's the dumbest possible way to do it. Win a medal. Exactly. I mean, Michael Phelps was going to be the headliner anyway. He's Michael Phelps. Katie Ledecky made her presence felt. Simone Manuel made history. That's why we're talking about them. They did something of merit in their sport. Lochte had a dull Olympics, so he decides to go out and get wasted and bring younger swimmers with him. That's what blows my mind because the IOC yesterday in their press conference said, oh, these are just a bunch of kids. One of the swimmers is 20. Oh, God. One of the swimmers is 21. One oh. is 24. All over the age of 18. So Why would that, they that whole kids thing doesn't make sense. Ryan Lochte's 32. He's a grown-ass man. And yet the very same people who wanted to excuse everything Ryan Lochte did took the greatest issue with Gabby Douglas standing at attention after winning a gold medal when the national anthem was played, instead of putting her hand over her heart. What kind of nonsense is that? I don't understand. I really don't. And the fact that he's a grown man, I mean, that's just embarrassing, too. And for those swimmers, I mean, you got to be surrounded by better people than a guy who just made up a whole story proving that he wanted to have more of the attention. I mean, that's just wrong. And, you know, maybe this is a lesson for him. He's not. He probably won't come back for the Olympics. You know, he's at an old age. But still, like for future swimmers out there, you know, don't don't follow, you know, stuff that what he's done. You know, I mean, this ain't even just a swimmers thing. This is just an overall life thing. And it's tough because they're the younger swimmers. They want to find favor with one of the old heads who's been through Olympics, who's won gold medals after his 2012 Olympics. You know, Ryan Lochte was that dude and he still won a gold medal in the relay. Yeah, that's what blows my mind. If he did all this for attention, as you allege, he won a medal. I mean, it's just, it's just wrong. And then you also look at it this way. He apologized today. 
And it's according to, you know, reports that saying if, if he didn't apologize, he would have faced a lifetime ban from USA. Sweden. Good. So the fact that he did apologize, you know, and he says he, he should have not done this, he should have been more responsible. Well, what, what, what mindset did you have that you say, you know, I'm going to make up the story so I could just take all the attention away from the Olympics and more focus on me? Like, what, what, what is that mindset? Like, what are you trying to prove to everybody that you, you, you want to be a hero or do you want to have all the spotlight over Michael Phelps and other swimmers that won medals? Like, what is it? Like, it's, it doesn't make sense. It really, really doesn't make sense. It, it's embarrassing, really. It really is. Because people say, oh, see, this is what Americans do. This is how they do A, B, C, and D. Congratulations, the living embodiment, Ryan Lochte. And you know what the funny thing is? On E! a couple years ago, there was a show called What Would Ryan Lochte Do? I guess now we know. Because the Olympics are the Olympics, they usually dominate most of the sports landscape as well they should, at least here in the good old U.S. of A. With that said, I think there are two principal debates that have come up from that, and we'll start with this one. Usain Bolt just keeps being Usain Bolt. Mm -hmm. There's no other way to put it. Only Usain Bolt can come off to a meh start, power through at the end, and be able to pose for pictures dusting the competition. I don't think he did it intentionally. And even if he did, that's even better. But you have him and you have Michael Phelps. Most gold medals all time. Yep. So who's the be- who is the better Olympic athlete? Well, if you look at the body of work, people will probably say Michael Phelps because he has 23 gold medals. But if you look at it on pure talent and athleticism, I think Usain Bolt should be in that conversation as being the greatest Olympian. See, I don't even think it should come down to that. Because what we've learned about both of these incredible athletes is that they're in a class of their own. Exactly. You don't touch them. The fact that Michael Phelps even has a silver, silver medal blows my mind. And a few bronze. And the rest are all gold. Can, can we picture that for, for, for one second? 23 gold medals. 23 gold medals out of 28. Number 23, Michael Jordan, number 23. No, Phelps has 23 Here gold medals. Here we go again. Here <laughs> we go, go again. Michael, Michael Phelps, Michael Jordan. Stop it. Coming? Stop it. Stop it. But... Going back to Michael Phelps in general, there's no touching him. And he's in every event imaginable and pulling in medals. Yeah. And then you have Usain Bolt. And we know Usain Bolt's not a distance runner. He's a sprinter. He's also the best. 100 meter, 2 meter, 50 meter. He sets world records with ease. And I think it's tough to compare the two sports because... Speaking as a layman, I do know that there is a huge difference between running for speed and then running for distance. And everybody can run, but some people can't really swim as well. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't quite put them both in that. I wouldn't make it that basic, you know? So, But if I, you look at the body of work like swim, swimming, right? You know, it takes a lot of talent to, to be that endurance, to be that, that you know, athletic and also just be in the best shape. I mean, the way that Phelps trains himself 
It's not human. It really isn't. Same thing for both. They just train differently. Because for Phelps, his whole body is fighting resistance. Yeah. You know, that's what it is when you're facing five other swimmers. And the water itself provides the own force that you have to push through. So he's got to consume crazy calories. Meanwhile, Usain Bolt's training, it's got to be completely different. So it's not even about comparing how either of them prepare. The question is, which one is the, quote, greater Olympian? And I have to go with Phelps. I have to go with Phelps, too. Because he's done a, an, an Olympic, especially he's done events where he's done, like, six or seven in the row and one gold medal. I mean, Bolt is, is a sprinter. So he does, like, one or two or three events, really. But if you also look at Phelps' body type, you know, six four tall swimmer, and the doctors say his lactic acid is completely different from everybody else, building up in terms of muscle recovery and be able to withstand anything. So if you look at it from that perspective, I mean, yeah, you could say because we pick Phelps, he has all the gold medals more than, than Bolt. But I look at more physique, and I look at impact of what he is as an Olympian. Well, maybe so, but just take a look at Usain Bolt, who's already got two gold medals in the 100 and the 200. He's going to run the 4 by 100 tonight. And he was step for step. I'll give the American that raced him in the last Olympics in 2012, I'll give him a lot of credit. He was with Bolt step for step. Yeah. But Bolt just pulled away. Yeah, Bolt, and sometimes he just jogs his way in the last couple minutes. I mean, that's how a freak of a nature he is. Really, he just be beyond everybody else. And then the last like couple, he'll just be jogging in. Like, he doesn't care about the record. He just goes for the medal. But, you know, like I said, like Phelps himself, I mean, the, the, you could say what he, is, he did in Athens, what he did in Belgium, what he did in London, what he's doing right now is impressive. And the fact that he's got 23 gold medals is even more impressive. But at least he, I understand the argument that he does have more opportunities to go get those medals because of how many events, the distance, the strokes that you have to master as a swimmer. But Usain Bolt, do you remember, I believe it was... In 08, it wasn't even in 2012, it was 08 where after he won medals, they were thinking, can we put football pads on him? It's such an American thing to do. Oh, he's a great athlete. Can he play football? It's completely different when you have helmets on and all that. Like, he's fast, but you get hit and all that, like, it hurts. Forget all that. It just goes to show how fast he is and the world records that he holds. He's got the world record for the 100 the 150, the 200, 300, and the 400. The 100 and 200 both still stand today. That's insane, though. As far as medals go, I'll tell you, they are, it's, it's not as far off as people would have you believe. He's got eight gold, he's got eight gold medals. Straight up. He's eight for eight. Exactly. He's so, so, eight. exactly. He's eight for eight. So then, you, then like I say, you can also make a case here like, oh, Bolt may be the British Olympian because he hasn't been blemished for a bronze or silver like Phelps is. The only time he's ever hit silver is in the World Championships. That was back in 2007. And then the World Relays in the Bahamas, he's got silver. And then the World Junior Championships in 02. So pretty much he's been untouchable since 2007. 
and that's and another case you can make on both. You know, he's been untouchable. Well, Phelps has had lapses where he had the bronze and silver and, and you know, all that. So We're but, calling meddling lapses, by the way. That's how great he <laughs> is. It's not that he didn't meddle. It's that, oh, yeah. he only got bronze. Bronze, silver, he didn't get gold. He but, was only third best in the world. But I still got Phelps up there. And even at 31 years old, he's not going to come back. That's what he reportedly say. But you never know how athletes are. But I believe he won't come back. I think his, his is his last Olympic. I think he's done. He, he said straight up. He's like, I, I'm done. Yeah. Like, I know I said it last year, but I cried because it was so emotional. And I knew that I wasn't coming back. And good for him for choosing to make that decision. The that, way, that, that way he's 31. He's yeah. entering his early 30s. He gets a chance. To be normal. He's made enough money, I would assume, from endorsements. Exactly. And he'll keep making money from endorsements with 23 gold medals. Like, he'll do it forever. I mean, the amount of work that he puts in, the diet that he, um, and people should research on his diet because it's insane how much food he consumes to have that body. 2,000 calories a meal, if I recall correctly. Yeah. And for breakfast, is the biggest one. Like, three egg sandwiches, these big pancakes. I mean, he eats a lot of food to... To be able to withstand that much, uh, you know, against the consciences and everything's crazy. So, in other words, neither Phelps nor Bolt is anything like the rest of you or us. Just stand in amazement. Look, we said there was a second question, and, and here it is. For some reason, so you know where I stand on this, Stephen A. Smith came talking out of both sides of his mouth to say that Carmelo Anthony should be ashamed that he said, if I win my fourth gold medal, wait, let me make sure that's correct. Oh, no, oh, four was a bronze. Excuse me. My third gold medal, yep. fourth medal overall, and I don't win a championship. I had a great career. And Stephen A. Smith let him have it. This, that, and the third. You should be ashamed of yourself. And people have tended to agree. DeAndre Jordan even said something similar to that. He said, an Olympic medal means more than an NBA title. Agree or disagree? Because like I said, I I know what side of the fence I'm on, but I'll I'll let you talk first. If I was an athlete, though, personally, I I would like the ring more than the medal. Because the medal, to me, I feel like you can obtain it any time, especially with a talented roster like the USA has almost every, every four years. So I don't think it's difficult to get a gold medal as much as it's difficult to get an NBA ring. And personally, that, I mean, that'll be like a lifetime experience to have that ring. I'm going to vehemently disagree with you, and here's why. Jason Capono played on the Heat during their run, correct? Yeah. No. I, that, no even so, let, let's ignore that for a second. Anderson Verajal, in his prime, was an international player. But he was the sixth man for not even the sixth man, maybe the 11th, 10th. He was forced into action because of Bo gets injury. But he was in the running for a ring. There are players who will never merit much playing time on the NBA floor that will get a ring just by being there. If you get selected to go to the Olympics, you're one of the 12 best players in the country and arguably the world. There's no price you can put on that because any NBA player can get a ring at the right place at the right time to go get a medal. That's not easy. And I know the U S has made a habit of making every game look easy 
well, not this year, but historically, they've made a habit of making every game look easy. And that is a credit to the grassroots, the development that has really gone into American kids where basketball is concerned. That said, not everybody gets a chance to go to the America's championship. They don't often get a chance to play with the American under 21, under 18. Like, there are levels to this. So to go to the Olympics, that means you are the best. Which means if you are a part of the best team in the world and you have a gold medal that proves it and you don't win a ring, you still had a great career. Look, I can agree with you with that. You do have a great career. And nothing that Carmelo says that that's wrong, saying, you know, I had no ring, I still have a great career. But just in terms of, you know, as a player, right, as a, as a person that that is searching for a ring, that you know, wants to be remembered from his fans and not pretty much be like a loser because that's what the mentality is right now. Like, that's why Durant went to worst because he wants a ring and doesn't want to be crucified on social media about, oh, this guy's a loser because he doesn't have a ring even though he has all this talent. And, you know, have past athletes like Reggie Miller, Patrick Q, and Charles Barkley, people didn't have a ring, but they have a medal. It just feels like if you don't have a ring and you have these gold medals, you know, fans are going to remember you more of the gold medals or they're going to remember you of the ring. And that's lack of appreciation, I think, on all sides because it comes so easy here. Can you imagine what would have happened in France if that upset was pulled off? The U.S. only won by three. Yeah. And Manuel Ginobili is a worldwide legend because Argentina won the gold in 2004. Like, you can't tell him anything stateside here or back home in Argentina. You really can't. So when I hear someone say that, oh, a gold medal doesn't mean anything, that, that's, that's trash. And at the end of the day, if you are part of the best in the world, it beats what you do in this league. Yes, this league is the best in the world, the NBA. But on a worldwide stage where you can face every country in the world and come away with a gold medal, there's nothing like it. It, it means something, but it doesn't mean as big as an NBA ring. That's not true. How can you say that? Because the rings solidify yourself as being a champion in the league and also for the, for the team. And it's just, you remember If you that win the Olympics, you're the champions of the world, literally. Yeah, yeah the world. And it's a great, great thing to add to your resume. But the, So you're saying that be, being a champion stateside means more than being a world champion for a game that only happens every four years? I, I believe so, in my opinion. That's American exceptionalism at its finest, <laughs> baby. Come on. I mean, just think of this. If you're an athlete and, and you wanted to, it was your decision between getting a ring or getting a medal, what do you want? You get a medal. Over a ring. Anybody can get a ring. Anybody can get a medal. Any, are you mad? Just look at how talented the roster is of the USA. Exactly. Compared the to a best player. Team. Exactly. The best players in the U.S. didn't even go out to Rio this year, and they're undefeated. Yeah. But, again, they are the best players, okay? Kyle Lowry <laughs> and DeMar DeRozan barely made the roster. They were late calls because Steph wasn't going, because LeBron wasn't going. Yeah. Harden wasn't going. But they, I think most of these players, also, they, besides a lot, you know, not trying to get injured or anything, but 
I think they just want a ring more than the the medal. That's a damn shame. It's one thing. It's one thing for those who have already gone and gotten the gold medals. Okay, even LeBron straight up said, "I wish I could be there." I don't know what the hell happened. Let's try that again. Even LeBron <laughs> himself said, "I wish I could be there." And he elected to stay home, and you can't blame him. He literally put Cleveland on his back to that championship. He needed a rest. Yeah, you know, Steph needed a rest as well. Yeah, but the rest of them, really. Like I said, like it, it, for me, I, I'll be happy with a medal too. But I want a ring more than a medal. That's just me. I'm, I'm glad you I said that's just. I want a ring more than a medal. I, I'm glad you said that's just you because I think that the idea that an Olympic gold medal means less than an NBA title. And people want to talk about the level of competition. Of course the level of competition is going to be different because the NBA is the best league in the world. And you're pulling from that league to take the 12 best. So, yes, you can have the greater competition to get an NBA ring. But if you go to the Olympics, you are the best of the best. So you should beat teams by 20 or 30. Best of the best of the best, sir. <laughs> I'm black. Why? <laughs> Los Yankees, they threw in the towel, or so we thought. A-Rod retired. Well, not really. He was released. Teixeira is retiring. So the book's supposed to be closed on the 2016 Yankees, right? Wrong. (laughs) Aaron Judge and Tyler Austin go back-to-back in their first major league at-bats. Gary Sanchez is out here delivering on the promise that Yankee fans have been waiting on for years, and the Yankees are still five and a half back in the wild card race. So the rebuild, Raymond, I've I've always felt that this was still two years too late. This is something that they should have done before instead of compounding it with longer and longer contracts. But did the move come at the right time, calling the kids up? I, I think so. And the reason why I say it because, you know, they called Luis Severino last year, right? And then he, he, you know, he was fine at first, and then he just got rocked out of nowhere. Put him back down. They brought him up again. He got rocked again. Maybe this was, a, this was like a, almost a test for him to see if these, players, these prospects were ready. Maybe they did it this time because they knew that they had to go in this direction, and they had so much time in, in the AAA league that, it was a time for them to play in the MLB league, and right now they're producing. I mean, you got Judge in five games where he has seven hits and two home runs and four RBIs batting 388. You got Tyler Austin in three games. He only had three hits and one home run and one RBI. But Gary Sanchez in 15 games, he had 18 hits, five home runs, 11 RBIs batting 346. You know, it's only a small sample, but you look at what they are right now, and hopefully they carry that on to the next season too. It's at a point where, for most Yankee fans, they already know that the rest of this year is probably a wash. But my theory is the following. If the Yankees manage to rally enough to make that second wild card spot, give Joe Girardi manager of the year and give Brian Cashman manager of the excuse me, executive of the year outright. It's not even close. Because the rebuild, right now, this isn't even a rebuild. Right now it's sort of a resurgence. Yeah. which the Yankees haven't been used to. The last time the Yankees had an, a marginally young 
starting lineup was 96. The last time they started, I believe, everyone under the age of 26 was 91. So it's a, it's a young so core. So it's, it's a very young core. And you still have Didi Gregorius, who's having a career year, and Starling Castro, who is maintaining his pretty decent batting line, and they're both in their mid-20s. Yep. So this is not. It's, I think they're gonna be at least one or two years away from being contenders almost every year, and especially if these players they keep playing the way they're playing. I mean, they're called the baby bombs for a reason right now. I mean, they're producing and getting home runs. And you know, the one thing about I like about Aaron Judge is that he's a big player. I mean, this guy's six seven, two seventy five. It's almost like LeBron James, like on the field, kind Actually, of. Actually, yeah, that's a that's a good comparison. Really. I mean, it's really crazy. Like he's really athletic, making these plays, and he he actually has good speed too at his size. I mean, I'm curious to see what he'll be like. And Gary Sanchez, you know, he's he is what he is, and he's going to be better. I know that for sure. Sanchez is going to be way better in Austin as well. And that's saying something because they've already come in and knocked people's socks off. And then you have Greg Bird coming back next year. Yeah, he's a good player too. I mean, when he came out last year before the injury, he was he did pretty well in Tashara's shoes. And and you look at their stats, they're actually similar. The only thing is, you know, to charge a better defender than him, but they had similar stats offensively. So that means the Yankees, with Teixeira coming off the books, a few other players coming off the books, you still got to have to pay A-Rod, even though you released him. But they now, 2017 doesn't look dismal, especially if there are moves to be made as well. Yeah, all they need is just really their starting pitchers to be, you know, consistent. Once they get to that point, if Severino can be what he was before he started getting rocked by everybody in the league, then, you know, they have they have a good chance of doing something special. But And also, you know, from their bullpen, you know, it's got to be solid as well. And I think from that point on, we'll, you know, we'll grade them and see how how good they can be. But so far, the very young future... Looks pretty good. Al Jazeera's investigative unit is locking away a box of drugs banned in sport. But alas, not everything in baseball can be happy. Or maybe it is. Ryan Zimmerman just today was cleared after a Major League Baseball investigation, and it has to do with the report from Al Jazeera America regarding doping in sports. And for those who think doping is a euphemism, maybe steroids or performance-enhancing drugs works better for you, too. As far as the whole investigation goes, it seems like everyone who's been accused has simply been able to wave it off. Peyton Manning was cleared earlier this year. Just heard about Zimmerman. But now Roger Goodell is using it as leverage to call in Clay Matthews, Julius Peppers, James Harrison into his office and say, talk to me or you're going to be suspended. And, of course, they had to comply. But first off, this report is being lambasted by nearly everyone who was named. But it was so comprehensive. How, how was that happening? I have no idea. I, just, I feel like, you know, they're doing all these accusing you know accusing these players that they did peds and all that but are they really doing their job like is Roger Goodell really the job doing this or is he just trying to say you know what i'm the enforcer i do whatever i want when you're working under the owners as well i i don't understand it to be honest with you it seems like he's going above and beyond his limits which he shouldn't be doing as a, yeah as a commissioner 
But the only reason I, I hesitate to mention it is because now all the Patriot fans are going to go, see, <laughs> that's what we were talking about with Deflategate. And I hate to say it because I am not a Tom Brady or a New England fan, but they might have a point. Well, I mean, he still did it. Yeah. But they might have a point. Well, look at these Patriots fans. You know, it comes to the spy gate, then you go to the flake gate. I mean, why isn't there a water gate while you're at it? I mean, it's just there's so much happening. It's like, apparently, why are they complaining? Though? Apparently, we don't need a redo of the mid-70s. <laughs> I, I guess I understand that. Yeah. But, you know, it's just it's insane. And, and for Goodell, well, you know, this reputation is on the line right here. Because if he gets it wrong here, I mean, is there going to be a situation where he might be either fired by the owners for what he's been doing? It could happen, and he's been close already, and he alienated his greatest ally in Robert Kraft. Yeah, so, so that's not a good sign right there if you're ailing somebody who supported you, and then you backstab him with suspension, even though it was, the, you know, whatever the job he's supposed to do, but still, I mean, that doesn't look bad. To me, it, it really reeks of saving face because we – as the public already know that football is such a violent game, the average career in the NFL is two and a half years. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with men who week in and week out put their lives on the line because many people don't call this a life or death game. You may walk out of that locker room and never come back the same. I think it's accurate to say that no player ever comes back the same after their first NFL game, maybe even college. Because, the yeah, it's a violent sport, and the risks are very, very high. So Roger Goodell's doing his best, it seems, to take focus off of that by focusing on those performance-enhancing drugs, which is weird, especially since even the substance abuse statute has come into focus because... The players are saying smoking marijuana helps me recover because (laughs) I can believe that, though, because painkillers are sometimes more harmful than using marijuana. But still a drug, though. You know, either way, it's still a drug. And I mean, the players for doing that, like, you know, this is even though NFL is part of a family community, that's probably why NFL doesn't want these players to do it. Here's what's interesting, though. None of the other sports are really testing for it. And, yeah, that's the question, right? Why are they testing for it, and yet the NFL is the only one who does it? And they're being a, being a hypocrite because they support Bud Light and beer and alcohol and all that. And that, alcohol is technically a drug. Yes, and it's a drug and it can affect you, you know, physically, mentally, makes you a different person. So they support that. But then you, when somebody smokes, they spend it for a year. Like, how does that, that even make sense? That makes no sense. But with that said, the obvious answer, as far as the substance abuse goes, if somebody, and, and I will, since we're getting slightly personal here, I'm not really an imbiber. But with that being said, if someone says, hey, I will give you $5 million by virtue of your job, don't touch weed. I need to be nowhere near it. Exactly. Nowhere near at all. I don't understand. That's not so hard. And yes, I do understand that it has pain-killing upsides. With that being said, if it's part of the contract and it's going to mess my money up, don't bother. 
You just don't bother me at all. Because you now put yourself in a situation where all of a sudden Le'Veon Bell is missing time for the second straight year. It got reduced to three games instead of four, but now he's missing time again. Martavis Bryant missing time. Josh Gordon is just coming back. Yeah. Well, you think he's going to do it again? <laughs> That's the question. That would, that would be awful. Not a question right there. You know, they, they come back, but the question is, can they sustain themselves from having the addiction of doing marijuana? I mean that's a person that's a person by person question case whatever but to go back to the performance enhancing part of it I think it also opens up a different question are performance enhancing drugs really that bad they are bad in the sense that it tells you that the person either cheated but it may not be bad for the person that says, you know what, let's hit a big home run, or you know what, let's run faster than the average. Because let's be honest here, performance-enhancing drugs weren't always steroids. Back in the 50s, players would pop amphetamines because they wanted an edge, because the seasons were long and they needed to stay in it. Yeah. But those very same players are heralded. So the degrees of performance-enhancing as it's gone throughout the years... Perhaps people think that it's because it doesn't physically affect, you know, muscle growth and things of that nature. But enhancing performance is enhancing performance. Exactly. And you cheated and you broke the law and you broke very much broke the policy. of what So you so so if they were using greenies, that's what they called them back in the day. You consider them cheaters. If it gives you an edge. Yes. So that means the entire baseball Hall of Fame is gone. Yeah, pretty much. And you're okay with that? That doesn't make sense. I'm not okay with it, but if you put it from that perspective, you can say it like that. But like I said before, in some ways, it, it helps the sport in terms of getting more entertainment, but it hurts it in terms of your cheating. So, you know, I'm saying it like that. But here's the thing, and you can debate this all you want. Don't at me because this is a fact. <laughs> Seriously, don't at me. This is an actual fact. Taking steroids as a layman won't help you become Barry Bonds. Nope. Nope. That's Barry Bonds was the best before he even allegedly, because I, I believe the account from the Game of Shadows book. It's a great book, by the way. I believe the account, and he grew. <laughs> I mean, I, I haven't seen a muscle regimen that's done that with anybody since. So, yeah, something had to be going on. With that being said... Barry Bonds was still Barry Bonds. He was still phenomenal. Yeah, he's a freaking nature. I mean, the steroids may have may him taken to another level, but he still was a freaking nature before that. Which is why <laughs> he's still a Hall of Fame player. Can you make the same case with Alex Rodriguez? Yeah. Because I personally believe, I think he could be a 500 to maybe 600 without the steroids if he believed in himself. And even, with, even without playing the if he did, if he didn't game. Yeah. He's still that much better than everyone else. Yeah, Point blank, period. Far, yeah. And for those who are crying, oh, woe is the game of baseball, this, that, and the third, let's, take, let's go back to the mid-90s for a second. Baseball was going okay through the first part of the decade. Then the strike happened in 94. Montreal still weeps about that to this day. Nobody cared about baseball after that because they said, Richer people are quarreling with rich people about money we don't have. Screw you guys. And then the Maguire Sosa chase happens. Oh my gosh, baseball's fun again. 
Barry Bonds entered the picture. Oh, my gosh. This is what baseball's supposed to be. And then you have the Yankees coming from dormancy. They hadn't won a title in 20 years, and they rattle off four titles in the last five years. You go, oh, wow, this sport's actually phenomenal. And steroids were a part of all of it. Suck it up. Exactly. I mean, just, uh, you know, like I said, it's, a, it, it's entertainment for the fans, but it looks bad for the league, especially for the players that say they cheated. Are you sure? I mean, look, we, we could go on about this, but to bring it back to the report itself from Al Jazeera, how much longer are we going to have to go through this fallout? Because it's reverberated even still from last year. I mean, maybe these players, they, these people, you know, these reports, they just either they don't have time to do anything else, or maybe they found something. Maybe they gave false reports on these players doing PEDs. Well, what it was, the report came from someone stepping forward and saying, all these guys came in, I gave all these guys stuff. But then the report started to change down the line, you know, this, that, and the third. So part of it could be embellished. So far, I mean, the players are winning and it's not even close. And I'll tell you this, Al Jazeera looks very, very bad right now in terms of reports like this. And they and they shut down. The report, I don't think, had, had to do with it, in specific, that is. But it's worth sort of grimacing at because for journalists in general, whenever you get something of this nature that's so inflammatory and yeah. so explosive, you'd want it to be right. And so far... It ain't. And now here on Slam City, here on Dunk360.com, we are pleased to be joined on the phone by Cut Dog Music, an up-and-coming talent group based out of the Midwest, Kansas City, Missouri. And it's funny, both the members of the group, June B and Colleen, join us on the phone. They were actually supposed to join us here in studio today, but they got booked for a pretty big show in their hometown. Guys, welcome, and tell me a bit about the show tonight. Well, is that... It's in Kansas City, downtown Kansas City at Prohibition Hall. And um, Problem is on tour right now, and he's going to be there tonight. So we uh we got booked for that show tonight. And um, yeah, yeah, like yeah. Um, the the promoter basically needed needed uh, you know, wanted to ensure there's going to be you know some people in the building. So he just reached out to us, you know, because uh, we're a group on the come up and everything. Uh, and we got a we got a you know pretty good following out here. So uh, he put us on last minute, and um, I mean I mean we would have loved to been there with you guys, but you know we got we got we got to we got to keep keep moving, get get that exposure out here while we can. Absolutely, and we appreciate your time with us. Now, when you guys first got started, first of all, why did you choose the name Cut Dog for your group? Well, well. Well, um, Cut Dog Music, like in, in 2011, uh, I started with, with um, one of my cousins and a, a good friend of the family. And basically at the time, like, you know, uh, Maybach Music was popping off. Um, Rick Ross had the Maybach Music. We didn't have a Maybach, but um, uh, my cousin had a Cutlass, Cutlass uh, Supreme, <laughs> you know. Cutlass. So, you know, in the South, we call them Cut Dogs. And uh, we just, you know, just cut dog music. You know, that's just how it came off. What What were some of your 
uh, influencers like growing up in the music world? I I go first. Um, just Lean, DJ Lean. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I I was raised in Rochester, New York, so I listened to um a lot of uh you know Jay Z, Jada Kiss, uh, uh, Biggie. You know, I I just I just like the I listen to like Shine, DMX. I love DMX. Yeah. So. Yeah, and then for for me, this June B. You know, I'm from South Carolina, born and raised. So I grew up listening to Pastor Troy, Lil Wayne, T.I., you know, especially being five hours from Atlanta. You know, uh, there's some rappers in Atlanta that that influenced me, Ja Rule, you know, guys like that. So that's pretty much who are some of the influence. Now, now for both of you, you know, listening to their to their work, do you ever like take some of what they did and, and apply to your music? I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Oh no, I'm saying like you know, for both of you, when it comes to listening to their music, do you ever take some of what they did and apply to your own music? Um, I I mean, not not necessarily take anything from them. I just I mean, sometimes I uh. My me myself, I just uh, I don't know certain songs. Certain songs, you know, I don't really think so. I mean, I really don't. I really don't. I really don't look at it like that. You know, certain songs may seem like it, but those are just you know our influences showing. You know, it's it's not um, anything. And at the same time, we are starting trying to stay up with the times, and at the same time, create timeless music. You know, so. But I don't know. That's that's a hard question, man. <laughs> <laughs> Liam, I'll try to give you one that's a little bit easier. You mentioned all the New York influences you had growing up. What was one album that you had on repeat for about ever when you were growing up? Biggie Ray to die. See that? Biggie Ray to die. Staple answer. What's your favorite song out of the album? Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> Probably suicidal thought. That was like probably the first song I remember, like growing up from from uh, from beginning to end. You know, and I, that's actually how my mom kind of got me to be good at um, spelling, like spelling tests. You know, you got to remember the words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like damn, you can remember a whole song. You can't remember this seven letter word. You know, and this <laughs> is this was like shit third. Uh, no, no, nah, I want to say third grade, probably before that. But yeah, I was I was young, young, like eight, you know, and I knew that whole song. And my mom's my mom, she uh, oh, she never, you know, I think after that record, she started getting me the edited versions until she got me an edited, <laughs> uh, edited version of uh, DMX, um, Flesh of My Flesh, and that was like edited version of that. Oh my god. <laughs> you could you couldn't even listen to it. Did your mom have a, a big influence on you musically growing up? And if she did, how? Yeah, yeah, man. I I blame it on her. Um, she, I remember, I remember she bought me a a karaoke machine. Uh, she bought me a, a a keyboard for one Christmas, a drum set for one Christmas. And you know, as I got older, I just looked back and seeing like all the stuff she put in front of me and. And that's, you know, I, I think that's a pretty, you know, big reason why, you know, I'm so into music and, 
and um and she got a good taste for music, so I was always listening to to what was hot. She was always up on what was what was what was new and everything. We're talking to Cut Dog Music, Leem and June B joining us here on the phone. June B, I'm gonna switch gears with you for a bit because you, for us being a sports show, you have the most quote relevance in that case because fans who follow football would know you as Junior Hemingway. But how did music really sort of influence you as you grew up playing the game of football and into coming now? You know, like, when I was younger, like, I always, everything was, I was always surrounded by sports, like, sports all year round. Like, you know, I didn't really have time for anything else. So, like, I was the one that always had all the CDs. When my mom finally bought a computer, I would burn all the CDs. <laughs> all the CDs, because like my mom, the first she bought my first ever stereo, and the first CD I ever got was a uh, Ja Rule Paint His Love. Aha! Uh-huh. Yeah. And um, man, I had that CD when I say that was like the, that was like the only CD I had for like three months, <laughs> and I was just like burn it out, burn it out, and you know as I grew, you know when you always away, you know music was like the only getaway that I had. You know, being around like all the other friends and players, stuff like that. I just have my headphones on, listening to music all day long. And then as it progressed, I got to college. It was a, I got to college in 07. That's when I first, that's the first time I stepped to the mic. That was the first time I started rapping. And um, ever since then, you know, I kind of carried that with me all the way through college, continued to rap. Then I got to the NFL. I finally uh, bought a mic. Finally got a good mic. I bought me a laptop, and um, DJ Lee would send me beats, you know, from back home. And every time I would get done with practice stuff, I'd go home, get on the beat, and send it back. So, you know, it's something that just grew with me over time. Since you are a Michigan Wolverine, it, it, it warrants asking: What do you think about their whole association with the Jordan brand and the new Jumpman uniforms? Do you wish you could have worn them? <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, of course I wish I could have worn, man, but, you know, man, I think, I think that's a big move. I think that's a real big move for them, you know, uh, especially with everything they got going. They had a good year last year, and it's only it's only right to, to bring the Jordan brand on on this ride that they're finna go on because it's going to be something special. Um, you mean, describe your everyday routine, like writing and producing music. What is it like? Say it again. I'll describe your everyday routine, like writing and producing music. Like, how do you do the process of putting it all together? Oh, okay. Man, you just wake up, you know, we listen to some beats, go through some beats, and, you know, whichever one I'm feeling, you know, just get into the zone with it. You know, however I feel, however that beat make me feel, that's how I'm going to come on it. You know, and some days you just get in the zone and, Knock out track after track after track. You know, that's just how, and then every day doing that every day, you know, it, it comes second nature. What keeps you going? Say it again? What keeps you going, like, when it comes to writing music and, and you know, putting it out there and being exposed to the public? Like, what motivates you to, to keep on doing that? Oh, man, my family. You know, my family, you know, I'm here with family every day. DJ Lane would it be my cousin. You know, and just uh, you know, I'm in love with music. I love, I like putting on music. I like people hearing what we got to say. You know, and um, 
you know, my mom, my father, my sisters and brothers, they, you know, they loving it too. They always hit me up, June, B, C, D, M, always texting me and stuff like that. So, you know, that's, that's just motivation, man. And then we get to be like, we get to be an inspiration and we get to be, we get to be a, a reason, you know, for people who, who want to get into it, people who dreaming to do such things like we doing right now. Where do you see you, yourselves in five years? Like, what what is like the the long term goal? Stupid rich. <laughs> Dang, that's real. Huh? Can't go Stupid wrong. Stupid rich. Stupid rich. I um I was looking at um I was looking at some other art. Like I was looking at Wiz Khalifa. Um. um you know, when he from when he dropped his first project to when he really started, I think it took him probably about, you know, four years to really get out there mainstream. And we know that it takes time. So, you know, in five years, I mean, we're already doing things that they didn't. I didn't. I, me, myself, I, I'm surprised. Uh, but it's just our work showing, you know. So five years, you know, definitely, definitely want to be, you know, I don't want to say I don't want to say too mainstream, but like definitely overseas somewhere, man. You know, we gotta we gotta we gotta be be seen, have have been seen around the world by years. So, oh yeah, for sure. And if I recall correctly, you actually performed you actually performed with with Khalifa last night in in Lawrence, right? Yes, yes, man. That was like we booked that last like we signed the contract for that Wednesday. And um, worked out the worked out the terms and everything, and we went out went out there and put on the show. Um, we actually just released a, like a minute clip on our Instagram, um, Cut Dog Music, and on our Facebook CDM. So you know, anybody that's listening, go check that out. You know, it was it was real hype. It was the biggest crowd we ever performed in front of. I think it was probably eight hundred people there at the time we was performing. See that 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 right there is is something special. Can you both go into really how that sort of thing works out on the business side? Do you guys represent yourselves, or does someone go to the table for you? Uh, right now, right now, um, you know, uh, me, Liam, I, I've been I've been DJing and making beats. And um, doing that stuff for like ten years, cause I've been young, you know. Um, and I just, you know, as a DJ, I, I've learned over the years what it takes to to uh, get in contact with people. You know, the type of uh, the type of emails you need to send, um, how not to spam people. We hate that, you know what I'm saying? We don't try to do that type of stuff. And um, basically, how that worked out was just, you know, promoters seeing the grind, you know. And loving the music, they see that we that we're you know we just released the project and um and you know they just want to give us an opportunity to hop on it and they thought we can we can add some people to the show. I mean, we're sleeping and need it, but you know, um just to just to be safe, you know. And at the same time, want to put us on. But um as far as the business side, you gotta make sure that contract is signed. You you gotta. You can't go there expecting nothing without it being whatever you want, whatever you expecting, have have the promoter sign it. So so you have it in black and white, you know, because if things don't go your way and you ain't got no contract, there's nothing you can go back to. You know, you 
you know, it's pretty much whatever the, whatever they want to do. They can do whatever they want to do with you, you know. So you want to make sure you get it in black and white. But everything be Gucci with anybody that we work with. One last question before we let you go. What should be the one song, if somebody tapes your performance tonight, what's the song that you both would say, go get that and go listen to that right now? Go first. <laughs> Come on, June. Oh, we ain't oh, heard from you in a minute. Oh. <laughs> Man, I'll probably say, I'll probably say, keep it G. Keep it G will probably be the one track that I'll say. Make sure you make sure you listen to that one. Make sure you go listen to that one. That's a, that's a banger right there. What about Instagram fanatic? Instagram fanatic. That's on. That's uh, that's that's that on our last project. That's on our last project, Juice Three, but. Hey, go listen to that too. That's a banger too. <laughs> that's, that's a good song. I listen to it. It's a really good song. See, and there you go. Thank you so much. Nah, we not, we not. Go ahead. Uh, oh yeah, I was gonna say we not, but we knew. Um, Instagram fanatic is not a part of the set, but I say keep it G too. Everybody's feeling that one. That is what's up. Follow them on Twitter, Cut Dog Music. They've also got a new project coming out. CDM is the team. It's on iTunes and Audio Mac. Lean, June B, thank you so much for your time, and best of luck tonight. Yeah, best of luck. Thank you. Thank you. That was Cut Dog Music. They're performing tonight in Kansas City, Missouri. That's why they couldn't join us in studio today. But you can go to their website, cutdogmusic.com. You'll learn more about June B, who Kansas City Chiefs fans from back in the day would know as Junior Hemingway. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, I was really impressed just hearing the fact that they were able to make it work. You know, there's sometimes people have ambitions and, and other dreams, but they really set time aside to prepare them to do what they've been doing now. Well, it takes time. It takes dedication. And, pay, and they're patient about it. And, you know, I asked him that question about, you know, what was going to happen in five years and maybe on track, like he said himself, be stupid rich and all that. So <laughs> hopefully... Everybody you know, wants to be yeah, stupid, rich, be stupid though, rich, so I'm, I'm with them on that. But I can see their passion and, and their music and, and, you know, how much time they put it in, and hopefully it pays off in five years. Exactly. Go cop the new one that's coming out. And go cop pretty much all their projects. There's rarely a bad listen. But DJ Lame and June B, Cut Dog Music, we want to thank. We want to thank you guys for tuning in week in, week out. We very much appreciate it. Subscribe to us on iTunes and on SoundCloud and also the Twitter. At SlamCity underscore 360. Okay, that's the account. And then yours. At Mornis10. And then at N underscore A-S-O-N-Y-E. And, of course, the big side at the Dunk 360. There can only be one. That's right. We're out of here. See you next week.